Just a quick heads up, The Holy Hive Show does contain adult language that may not be suitable for sensitive listeners and children. From Salt Lake City, this is The Holy Hive Show, a podcast about Utah. I'm Jordan Delacruz, and with me today is Dan Lawler. Hello. What's up, Dan? Nothing much. Just uh, chilling here with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. I like Sunday mornings. You said when you when you got here that it's pretty empty out, outside downtown. Yeah, Salt Lake is a ghost town on a Sunday morning. You know, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's kind of almost eerie. I went golfing a couple of weeks ago in uh, Utah County, and uh, our, our buddy Pat, who we went golf, golfing with, he yeah. was saying that since this whole COVID thing started, he used to be able to go to golf courses on Sunday mornings, and they would be completely empty. But ever since church got canceled, now they're, like, full <laughs> on Sunday mornings. So it's weird to see how, how this whole pandemic is adjusted the crowds. A little follow-up from last week. Uh, we talked about how we had a conversation last week about how uh, college players were planning on boycotting the uh, upcoming football season because of COVID concerns and pay um, uh, revenue sharing and stuff like that. And since the last show, the Pac-12 did announce that they canceled college football. Yeah, it turns out the boycott wasn't necessary. No, not even necessary. Are they... They, they, they canceled. Who, who else canceled? Um, so the Pac-12 canceled. The Big Ten canceled. So that's your Ohio State, your uh, Illinois, your, your Michigan. Um, a, gi- a gigantic chunk of the yeah. NCAA fan base. Um, I know that the SEC is currently still in play right now. So Alabama, yep. Clemson, those, those sports are, I mean, uh, those fall athletics are still going on. Yeah. But for Utah, if they still want a slice of college football, there is a team that's still playing, right? Yeah, I mean, so far as I can tell, BYU has is now the best college football team in Utah since they are the only college football team in Utah. Well, they're going to have their time here during it's, the COVID the COVID season. This oh. is the place. <laughs> this is their this is their opportunity to be the best uh, football team in Utah. Um, so this last week, uh, Dan and I uh, tuned into a screening that was held by the Utah Film Center. Um, for this documentary that came out of Sundance and uh, shout out to the Utah film center for putting on that screening. That was actually really dope. Yeah, it was really cool. They uh, did the, so it was basically like a, a, you, you bought a ticket. Well, it actually was free. You could donate. It was if you free wanted. and it prompted you if you wanted to donate. Yeah. And then uh, at a certain time during the night, the screening went live and then everyone watched it. And then afterwards they had a Q and a uh, hosted by uh, Doug Fabrizio with the filmmakers um, and shouts out to Doug Fabrizio. Shout out to Doug Fabrizio. Great, guy. great name. Good, great voice. Good interview. Um, but the, the documentary that we watched was uh, called Boys State, which I believe came out last Friday. It did. So we watched it last Tuesday, and then on, that following Friday it came out on Apple TV+. Plus. Is that what it is? I yeah. can't keep up with all the streaming uh, It is Apple platforms. TV+. Plus. Apple TV Plus Premium. Um, Max. So we watched Boys State. Uh, if you guys don't know what Boys State is about, it's a documentary about uh, a thousand seventeen-year-old boys from Texas uh, joining together to build a representative government from the ground up. Um, I had no idea that they had these programs around the country. I didn't either, and I've talked to people who absolutely did. These I, apparently they go around. They're all around the country. Um, yeah, I know. My mom knew exactly what it was when I talked to her. Um. I haven't checked to see if there is a Utah Boys State, but there also is Girls State. So I just Googled Utah Boys State, and the first thing that popped up was Utah Boys State 2020 at Weber State University. Interesting. So, yeah, the American, the Utah American Legion throws this on, uh, and they're, yeah, they're, they're, they do have them in Utah. 
yeah, I had no idea that this was actually a thing. It's um, a fascinating thing. Yeah. So the documentary that we saw focuses on a, on a boys state program that happens in Texas. Um, and I, I, I like to participate. I'm not completely like anarchist. I do tend to roll my eyes a lot though, at how our government works. Sure. And, um, as someone who kind of rolls their eyes at our quote unquote democracy and how it operates in this country, uh, this movie was like heartbreaking and upsetting and also like really funny. It was hilarious. Yeah. I, I definitely had so many different emotions going on. I was, like you said, I was heartbroken. I was laughing mm. constantly. Um, I found it like exhilarating and like really got my blood pumping at times. Yeah. Like the gamification of it all, like it mm-hmm. made it so intense and competitive to me. Yeah. And I can only imagine like being there in person, how intense and competitive it is. Did you kind of think about if you were in high school and you went to one of these boy states, how 17 year old Dan Lawler would have treated this exercise? I likely would have been right down the middle. I probably would have been 50% cynical and like a, a jokey little dickhead about it. Like some yeah. of the boys that were there. Yeah. And then I also would have wanted to take it seriously. Yeah. So, so like the the way that it's organized is once all the all the 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 boys get to the thing that well, they, they actually have it in the state capitol. So like when they're um when they're presenting platforms and stuff, they're doing it in government meeting houses and yes. stuff like that. So it gives this kind of grandiose feeling to it. Um, but when they get there, they're split up into two political parties: the Federalists and the Nationalists. And these these political parties don't have any preconceived like stances on issues. No, it's they build kind of their own, they yeah. build their platform. Yeah. And, and I don't think that the boys know which side they're going to be on and it's completely random and mixed and they're encouraged to build their platforms on their personal views. So in each party, you actually do have a blend of conservative kind of values and liberal kind of values. Um, and I mean, it's from, it's Texas. So it is kind of a sample size of like Texas yeah. kind of viewpoints and stuff. Um, but really, I think like the value of this movie is kind of how it is, how it acts as kind of like a mirror for our society, mm-hmm. and all of the 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 kind of emotional touch points acts as like a parallel to something in our actual yeah. government. Like you you watch these these guys create political platforms and create speeches, and um, you I think to to kind of like more surface level viewers. They'll just see it as like, oh, there's the there's the kind of liberal leaning boys, and there's the kind of Republican leaning boys. Um, but I think there's a lot there's a lot of parallels that go a little bit deeper. Like, you have boys who are not taking it seriously at all. Yeah, it's like a party to them. Like they're they're at summer camp. They just want to secede, basically. Yeah, and they and they, and they kind of take on this kind of trolley attitude. Mm-hmm. Like there was the one kid. That I can't I can't remember what he said. He said like one thing and like a bunch of other like this one group from his party tried to get him uh impeached. Yeah. And it didn't it wasn't like the impeachment didn't come from like this uh oh we firmly disagree with what you're saying. It was just like gang mentality. Yeah, it was gang mentality. It was, it was exactly. A hive mind. It kind of just rolled like a snowball. And when you when you when you see the way that kind of these boys are interacting with the political system, you really kind of see parallels between them and the people that are actually running our political system. Cause there are politicians who like, don't take this shit seriously. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. Like you said, the gamification. I, I thought it was so fascinating how it affirmed both of my hopeful and cynical views about politics, you know, especially mm-hmm. in like the art of the campaign. Um, you know, 
there is the cheap backstabbing that is going on, like the glad handing in front while you're yeah. just like stabbing a person directly in the yeah. back. Um, that sort of stuff was fascinating. And, and just like the lying, it felt like incredibly familiar, even though it was on such like an adolescent scale. There. Yeah. And there, and there is these kind of different attitudes, especially they did a great job of kind of focusing in on a couple of different uh, boys and kind of following their journey. Um, and, there, um, there, there is this attitude with some of them that are like, this is a competition I, and I'm competitive and I want to win this. Yeah. And so that's my goal. And then there's some who are like, I feel like if I can, if I can beat this, then I will have a chance at affecting change in the real world. Yeah. Like they're taking it. There are like, people that go in there with a pure heart, I think, and go in there with like actually wanting to change. I think I would say the film's protagonist as much as there is one mm-hmm. is one of those people that goes in there sincerely wanting to challenge beliefs and make change yeah in his with within his peers and mm-hmm. just within the country as Find a, whole. a middle ground and yeah. yeah i do think i think like the movie itself will just kind of whatever you bring into it you're going to kind of be that's going to be amplified in a way yeah like if i went in there completely cynical i would probably come out just as cynical yeah it's not going to change any minds but it will no. It will, like you said, as it's kind of a mirror. You're yeah, just kind of it's going to reflect back what you bring in. And I think I think a lot of the most poignant points of the of the documentary are like these these boys obviously come into the exercise with preconceived notions about issues and stuff like that that they probably just got from their household. Exactly, and they come from Texas, so it goes a certain way, you know. Like, but I think the 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 kind of more poignant points were like there was this part where this kind of I, I guess he's a little bit more of a broy guy uh-huh who's charismatic and yeah. he can get the crowd fired up he he get, he delivers this speech on like these kind of hard stances on certain issues like guns and abortion and stuff like that and it's more of kind of just like pageantry yeah where he's like getting people rallied and it works and people are like yeah 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 and then he steps aside and this other kid comes up and delivers a speech that is like kind of this really heartfelt, mm-hmm. deep, impassioned speech. And you see the crowd kind of like, like kind of looking at him kind of funny at the beginning, but by the end of the speech, everyone's like, oh shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that kid standing on the sidelines watching him is like, maybe I'm looking at this all different. Yeah. And and that little moment of growth is like mm-hmm. the, the, the shit that really got to me. Yeah. It's like these 17 year old kids aren't so set in their ways that they can't be like, oh, maybe, maybe my the, my thoughts about how how this works are different and maybe um maybe we could be doing this a different way but yeah it was a really really good documentary and uh did you stay for the Q&A afterwards no i had some real frustrating tefni- technical difficulties with their website oh yeah and so i missed the Q&A um i yeah. didn't finish the movie until a certain like pretty late in the evening so in the uh in the beginning of the documentary i think it states that they do have girls and boys states yeah there is a girls state as well mm-hmm. and i believe they happen in like within the same vicinity of one another yeah and during the q a they asked you know have you guys had any thoughts about covering a girl state or doing anything like that and they were like yes and i would be i would be fascinated like mm-hmm. i had a disagreement with my girlfriend because she thought that there would be just as much kind of infighting and backstabbing yeah and i was like i don't know i feel like it would be taken so much more seriously i know i do too state. yeah i feel like it would be too you be know like, let's get down to business sort of situation yeah i think so too and i i th- i 
uh, I, when I was watching it, I thought the same thing. I was like, I really do want to see like a girl stay because there is this kind of like frat boy mentality mm-hmm. that, that goes into it. There's like this masculine energy and obviously it's like a bunch they're of dudes. They're doing yeah, push-ups. Yeah, yeah, they're doing, yeah. They're just to get each other pumped up. Yeah, yeah no, uh, my girlfriend turned to me while we were watching that. Well, they're like, they're pumping each other up and they drop down and they start doing push-ups to pump each other up. And she goes, do guys really do that? And I'm like, I mean, like I don't, but There's, yeah, guys do. There are yeah. guys that do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when asked in the Q&A if they're going to do a girl state, they said they really want to and that they think because of the success that this film is having, they're going to get funding to That's cover. That's awesome. And so if they come out with a girl state, I'm, I'm for it. Like, I'm, I'm for it there. too. It's going to be awesome. So check out Boys State on Apple TV Plus Max Premium. Yeah, hopefully it'll be available somewhere else too soon enough. Yeah. You can just buy it like from the Apple store. Yeah. So a uh, local drinking hole, Bourbon House, their management team is suing some former employees for defamation. Last month, uh, the Bourbon House Group, a management company that operates Bourbon House, Whiskey Street, and Whitehorse Spirits, came under fire after the wife of one of the owners posted racially charged comments about the Black Lives Matter protests. So that's where this all starts. Yeah. Uh, the woman and members of the management group have issued apologies for their comments. They deemed disrespectful, insulting, and ignorant of black lives. Then they donated 10K uh, to the Black Lives Matter movement as kind of a make good for the mishap. And so all, as all this was unfolding in, in, on social media and in the public, former employees began posting accusations of sexual harassment and mistreatment by members of uh, Bourbon House Management. So now Bourbon House Management has sued those employees for defamation, claiming damages exceeding $300,000. Um, I think this year, all these kind of public call-outs on social media. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you call it, like... I guess a lot of people call it cancel culture. Yeah. Um, it's been happening more and more. And I think it's kind of been getting into our local community a lot more too. I I don't know if you remember this, but in June, hashtag Utah rapists was trending. Did I you did see not, that? I did not know this. Yeah. It was like like on the a trending, like wow. up in the upper echelon of our market. It was like trending. Um, do you think calling out abusers on social media actually works? I think it's kind of a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. and I think it depends on how strong your case is. Yeah. I think that there is always going to be a faction of the community that agrees with you or believes you or is behind you regardless of of what you're saying. Yeah, the kind almost. of, like, activists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and I believe that you do deserve the respect of, like, if you have been assaulted, you deserve yeah. the respect of, like, oh, that's fucking terrible yeah and Mm -hmm. i you know obviously it is a case you know it's a case-by-case basis but in terms of this i think that bourbon house is almost proving that it does sort of it is sort of effective just by you know filing this lawsuit Mm -hmm. they're claiming that they lost three hundred thousand dollars because of the uh, sexual harassment claims yeah and so i mean according to bourbon house it does work now they're not gonna win this because it's i find it almost impossible to prove that they lost $300,000 because of these claims when there is a pandemic. Yeah. Going in the on. middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, th- according to bourbon house, yeah, it does. It is effective. Um, yeah. And I think, I think this is, this is, I guess what you would call cancel culture started in kind of celebrity culture. Yeah. And that's, 
I think people look at that and they're like, oh, that's the way to do it because you can say one thing about, I mean, I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to downplay it. Like you could, yeah. someone could come out with a single accusation and then it could either catch fire or that one single accusation could bring someone down. Um, we saw it just recently with uh, Chris D'Elia, mm-hmm. the comedian. And I don't think he's like put out any con. He had a podcast. I don't think he's done. Um, he hasn't posted on any social media or anything. And then recently, last week, they announced that he's getting replaced in Zack Snyder's next movie. He was cast. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and so they're they're replacing him. Um, and I think when people see stuff like that, they're like, oh, that can affect change. And but on the local level, I think it kind of operates a little bit differently because. First of all, you're not going to get the millions of people rallying behind it, mm-hmm. you know, and these ki- the the incidents seemed a little bit more isolated. Whereas, like you know, with the Crystalia thing, he was going like he was apparently creeping all over the country, and so there's this kind of trail of, um, of 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 all these of mishaps, creepery. yeah, of creepery, yeah. you know. Um, but I think on a local level, because here's here's the other problem is that these cases rarely go to court. Yeah. When it's going to be a, yeah. settled. Yeah. When there's a, a, a sexual abuse case and that's, and that's definitely something we need to address is how the justice system handles things like this, because it really is kind of messed up. It needs to be addressed just in the, uh, the, uh, food and beverage industry as a whole. Oh yeah, for like, sure. It is, oh. it is crazy. Yeah, the and, amount of sexual harassment and assault that happens within just that one mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. Yeah. My, my girlfriend was a server basically from the age of 16 until her mid twenties and has tons of horror stories yeah. of things like that. Um, so yeah, between the justice system and people that are managing these kinds of environments and obviously, you know, it's a bar, so there's going to be kind of a looser environment. People are drinking and stuff like that. Um, and maybe there are things that are a little bit like maybe a kind of a flirtatious attitude is a little bit more accepted in a bar setting than like an office setting, mm-hmm. which is fine. And we, I think it's kind of up to us to kind of define, you know, it's like porn. You don't know it. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Yeah. And so it's kind of up to us to be responsible for those types of things. Well, but, that's the thing about sexual harassment is it doesn't matter what really like the, the, the perpetrator feels about it. If, mm-hmm. if the person who has been sexually harassed feels they've been sexually harassed and they have been sexually yeah, harassed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm wondering what's going to happen. I, th- I feel like this is something that we never see in these cases is that actually something's actually going to court. Yeah. Someone's actually trying to fight back against this. Um, and I hope that it can be productive in some way and it doesn't just backfire and that they're just going to bury these employees with, you know, legal fees and things yeah. like that. Um, but we're going to keep up on that anyway. It's, it's fucked up. It is. <laughs> the whole the whole thing. I, it this, is. Yeah, and I'm not speaking for or against cancel culture. I'm just trying to figure out what what cancel culture's role in our community is because this is a very intimate, small yeah. uh, situation. A little bit of a tangent, but it is. I always find it interesting that we do have to qualify certain things just because everything kind of turns into this political mudslinging contest. Yeah, we're like we should be able to just discuss cancel culture without being like worried about cancel culture coming off in a good or bad light we should just be able to talk about this yeah. thing same with fake news like yeah now fake news is like this political thing it's mm-hmm. all just everything turns into this like 
buzzword. Yeah. That is either if you use it, you're either saying something bad or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, just the sheer mention of me saying cancel culture, people are going to start rolling their eyes. Exactly. Oh, what are they going to do? Who are they canceling next? Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on to our – this isn't really a news story. This is more of an opinion piece that I found and kind of meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, and it was really well written. So uh, Weber State University professor Pepper Glass. Whew, that's a great name. Amazing name. Pepper Glass. Professor Glass. Um, yeah, he's a Weber State University professor, wrote an opinion piece in the Salt Lake Tribune this week about how Ogden suffers from an undeserved reputation. In his piece, he argues that the invisible boundaries between Ogden's diverse neighborhoods and the more homogenous Mormon neighborhoods that surround Ogden kind of shape its reputation. And uh, he found in writing this piece that people who live in Ogden, especially its Latino community, embrace the city, while people who live outside the city are kind of responsible for the dismal reputation, mostly relating to crime. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, So would you call that like maybe some soft racism? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like not to, I'm not, I'm not throwing racism stickers out at everyone, but like that whole kind of atmosphere of Ogden's attitude is a little bit... I think so. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you immediately, like, if the fifth word you say when talking about a place is ghetto, then yes, there's some soft racism yeah. going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know, Dan. How do you feel about Ogden's reputation? How do you feel about it today? Well, I think that it probably is mostly gained from this almost little brother complex yeah. Like Ogden has definitely some little brother energy when it comes to its relation to Salt Lake. And I think that's mostly attributed by people that don't live in Ogden. Yeah. Um, and anytime that there is a town that is just 40 minutes away and has its own like kind of lifestyle and culture and, uh-huh. and, and people and presence, there's going to be a bit of competition and wanting to be sure. like, no, we're better. Yeah. Like the, the flex of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you never really want your little brother to be better than you at anything. Of course. Um, yeah, it does feel like that, like sibling rivalry. Yeah, between exactly. Counties. I think in the end, it's like kind of a bit of ivory tower bullshit, though. You know, yeah, like for sure. When you go to Ogden, Ogden is a wonderful place. Yeah. It, I mean, it's got issues for yeah. sure. But like the crime rate in Salt Lake is much higher than it is in Ogden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so the the reputation is definitely undeserved. I think so. When I first moved to Salt Lake City, I realized that if you're interacting with someone who grew up south of Salt Lake City, you almost need to point Ogden out on a map to them. Yeah, like really. people really don't know. If you if you grew up in Salt Lake and Provo, you like a lot of those people don't even know about Ogden. Yeah. And they haven't been there. In fact, uh <laughs> my girlfriend's from Sandy mm-hmm. and um she she told me that one time when she was younger and she was in high school, uh she went to she was going to a concert and the concert was in Logan. And her friends drove to Ogden and drove around Ogden the whole time trying to find the concert venue. Oh my goodness. And then they realized they weren't. And Ogden's still way far from Logan. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were way off. Um, so, yeah, like, just, like, there's, I think not a lot of people really know about it from personal experience. And so they just hear things about it. I was asking, after I looked at the prep, I was asking some people what their thoughts on Ogden were. Mm-hmm. Like, back, you know, when they were a bit younger. And they said, gangs basically Mm -hmm. which i find so fascinating and i think some of that attitude is kind of seeped into the 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 surrounding areas of ogden yeah to where like when when we so we grew up in roy we went to roy high school and 
our rival schools would always, it would be like Roy's the ghetto school, but we would be like, no, the ghetto school, this is the ghetto school. Yeah. And it's like, we're all blaming each other for this ghetto-ness that really didn't exist. Yeah. Like it does, it's not really there. So it's kind of weird how that, how that works. And I just think Ogden, I mean, I think it's maybe because just geographically there's like, like between Salt Lake County and Weber County of Davis County, mm-hmm. which is its own like little thing. But Provo and Ogden are kind of smashed up against each other, Utah County and Salt Lake County. And so they really kind of have the rivalry. And there's like, there's a, there's a lot of Provo in Salt Lake's consciousness and there's a lot of Salt Lake in Provo's consciousness. Yeah. And then Ogden's kind of on its own little island up north. True. And um, I think that actually makes Ogden's culture a lot more unique than Provo or Salt Lake City's. I think Ogden... I think immediately when people come to Ogden, they'll notice that it's a lot less commercialized, at least in the downtown area. Yeah. And I think that kind of corporate branding and like, you know, the access to the things that you're used to makes people comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that away, it like makes people a little like safe for maybe Riverdale Road, which is kind of like. Yeah. Just the hub. Yeah. The corporate (laughs) Mecca. Like it has the In-N-Out Burger. It has all the shopping centers and stuff like that. But then when you get into downtown Ogden, it actually is more local and kind Mm -hmm. of unique. I'm usually trying to run from those types of things. Like I like Provo could be a carbon copy of some parts of Salt Lake City. Like I think that one of the main differences between Ogden and like Salt Lake is Ogden is a place where people like to do activities outdoors and Salt Lake is a place where people like the appearance of doing things outdoors. Holy shit. Okay, so this goes into the first touch point that I wanted to talk about in in this conversation which is lifestyle. Yeah. I wrote that almost exact same thing where I said, so like Ogden or Salt Lake as a whole has this outdoor culture, uh-huh. which is, outdoor culture is big in Utah. And Salt Lake is like more of the kind of hobbyist Instagram influencer outdoor yeah. culture. And I think when you go to Ogden, the outdoor culture there is like more rough and tumble. Like they, they breathe, eat, sleep and breathe, whatever thing, it, whether it's rock climbing or fishing or river rafting or anything like that's where the hardcore culture is. You yeah, know? I think so. How do you feel about Ogden's people? I think they're great. <laughs> I think that it's definitely without sounding like I'm giving a political speech, like it yeah. it truly is like a more blue collar mentality of like people working in bigger factories yeah. and working, you know, for for more hands-on type mm-hmm. businesses as opposed to like the business district sort of like Goldman Sachs. Yeah. and stuff of Salt Lake. Yeah, there is like a lot less self-importance. <laughs> yeah. Um feel kind of uh, like hashtag blessed to have been raised in Roy. So I've always said this. I think Roy is a great mixture of mm-hmm. all of that and the way that the school systems is set up, which really kind of defines the people that you interact with when you yeah. grow up there. Um, if you went to an inner city high school, all of the junior high schools that fed into that high school came from all these different parts. So you'd mm-hmm. have like a high school or a junior high school in kind of like a wealthier area yeah. and then one in maybe a less wealthy area and then both of those would go to the same high school. Whereas in Roy, it was two junior highs, and that they all fed into the same high school. So, some, yeah, it's yeah. like a, a self-contained. Very self-contained. Yeah. Everybody lived in Roy, went to Roy. Yeah. And by the time you got into your second or third year of junior high, you already knew everyone from the other junior high. Yeah. And then you were all together in high school. And I think because of that, there was like, I mean, they had, you had, you had clicks, like hangout clicks, but sure. there was no, never a rivalry. Like, no. Like we all hung out with the jocks and we hung out with the nerds and every, like everyone was just kind of, it was, it was all mixed and people from 
all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds. And so we never felt like sheltered from anything. Yeah. It was just kind of everything. And Hill Air Force Base has a lot to do with that. Yeah, true. Being, being right. You know, there's a Roy, a Roy mm-hmm. entrance to Hill Air Force Base. And I think that a lot yeah. of, a lot of, that's why my family ended up in Roy is because mm-hmm. of the, yeah. because of its proximity to the Air Force Base. A lot of, a lot of military brats. So. Um, and I think also it's, we've had a couple of transplants that have gone on to other things like the, the singer of the shins. Sure. Spent, I, I don't know if he spent time or if he lived in Roy, but his dad was in the air force and they were stationed at Hill. Chicago bears, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Jim McMahon went to Roy oh, yeah, high yeah. school. <laughs> That's Roy high's so, real claim to fame is yeah. Jim McMahon. Um, the, the beer drinking Mormon is what they called him. I always think that's so funny that, like, that's just so fascinating to me that your family comes from Chicago and your family's like Bears fans. Yeah. And then the the base that you guys get moved to yeah. and, and the city you move to ends up being Jim McMahon's Truly. <laughs> high school. That's really cool. Um, so the third touch point I wanted to talk about is the crime. Um, I personally don't understand this whole obsession with crime in Ogden. Yeah, me and neither. Growing up, and obviously, like, I live in Salt Lake right now. And I don't spend as much time in Ogden, but like growing up, I never felt unsafe. I didn't Ogden, either. Anyway. I think it's more, I think it's got so much more of a small community vibe. Like I never mm-hmm. worried too much about like, well, I mean, obviously I didn't drive a ton. Most of my driving life has been spent in Salt Lake, yeah. but like I never really cared as much about like, oh, I got to lock my doors. Oh, I got to make sure I don't park my yeah. car in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, certain things like it was just, you know, yeah. I never felt, and my mom never felt unsafe letting me go to club boomva and like walk around downtown ogden yeah the little there's a little metal club that we used to go to when we were in junior high like we weren't even in high school we were in junior high like 14 15 years old going to a metal club in downtown ogden and um never felt unsafe i was taking this bus downtown when i was 14 to skateboard and we would run around all night just and it was it never never felt like a dangerous place to be i think Honestly, when I see crime stories come out of Weber County, mm-hmm. it's always kind of the crazy white person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying like whites as a whole or anything like that, but like it's always kind of like the, like, you know, some guy set his trailer park on fire or you yeah. know, something. It's something like that. It's something weird. Anyway, closing thoughts on Ogden. Ogden's the shit. I, I will say, yeah, even even though I've mostly honestly trashed, not even trashed, but like, had like an Ogden leaning in this conversation. I do enjoy living in Salt Lake more than I enjoyed living in Ogden. I think, so I thought about that too. And I think it's just because my, like works here. And, yeah. but I, th- I, I feel like if I went back to Ogden and I saw like, what do we, what do we like here? Other than the fact that our jobs here, like we don't like driving 40 minutes to work. Nah, yeah. So we live here. I mean, what Fisher? <laughs> like, Fisher's that's, fun. That's the biggest thing. Well, I think <laughs> like, that is one thing. Is like there is definitely more options in terms of like yeah. what to do with your friends. And there's definitely that stuff sure. in Ogden. You got like the goat's head or whatever, and the mm-hmm. and you got slack water and stuff. But that's all very, you know. I just enjoy kind of the lifestyle, and definitely yeah. the there is a more progressive leaning in Salt Lake than there is in Ogden. Yeah, yeah, and I think, but I, I yeah. And that's I'm, true. That's sure. That's probably not Ogden as a whole, you know. No, like yeah. I do think like when you're downtown Ogden and you're doing all that, 
there's probably that same sort of progressive leaning, but mm-hmm. I do think the neighborhoods, the surrounding suburbs of Ogden oh, for sure. lead in a little bit more in Ogden than they do in Salt Lake. That's true. And most of the, like, other than, like, inner city Ogden, all of the suburbs around it are either just McMansions of Mormon people, mm-hmm. you know, or farms. Yeah. It's like farmland, Mormon neighborhoods, and then inner city Ogden. And I do agree that it kind of bleeds into Ogden a lot more. But you do have the kind of counterculture in inner city Ogden. Um, and, I mean, I've always said this. Like, I love the music. I think Ogden genuinely has a good music scene. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good artists that come out of uh, Ogden. Um, I've always said that Ogden has the talent and Provo has the marketing. <laughs> like, fair. that uh, Ogden bands are actually really talented but can't market themselves for shit. And that Provo, our Provo artists are more carbon copies of other things. Yeah. But they're really good at marketing themselves so they can blow themselves up. So they got the neon trees. Yeah. (laughs) But I love Ogden. All right. Now let's skip right over Salt Lake and go down to Utah County and uh, talk about some stuff going on in Provo. So last week we were talking about how clubs were opening and how... There's a lot of young people just completely ignoring what's going on right now um, in our country. So we, we watched this video that, that came out on Twitter, and I think it was just like a, a, a compilation of people's Instagrams. Like they had pulled videos from Instagrams yeah. from this party that was going on in Provo. But since then, the, the people that threw that party actually put up a video kind of recap of, their, of the party. Um, so the video shows a ton of BYU students packed into a venue without masks or distancing precautions. Uh, and this week, the Utah Health County, um, the Utah, sorry, Utah County Health Department came out and said that while the party wasn't illegal, they're still not happy about how the organizers um, put it on and how they're not taking the pandemic very seriously. It would be great if we had a mandate of some kind that would Truly. hold them responsible yeah. for these types of things. Dirty looks don't really do get much done. Yeah. So the uh, and the organizer of the party, uh, who shall remain nameless, I don't want to give them any <laughs> any clout from sure. this, but uh, they issued a very odd response from Twitter, mostly aimed at people attacking the content of their video, which shows BYU students giving lap dances yeah. <laughs> in clothing that Provo would consider revealing, yeah, but to the rest of the world is pretty normal. <laughs> I love that. That's what most of his uh, yeah his, his response is about. I'm like, wait, hold on. You are burying the lead here. Yeah. The elephant in the room is not that someone had some a strapless, you know, like yeah, a tube some top Daisy on. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was probably the whole m- no masks and rubbing on each other during a yeah. pandemic that is the issue. Yeah. Um, he also states that they left it up to the attendees, college students, yeah. <laughs> on whether or not they wanted to wear a mask. And uh, that masks were provided, but no laws were broken because there was no mandate in Provo. <laughs> I hope Governor Herbert's looking at this <laughs> and he sees what happens when you don't put mandates. He also pointed the finger at Lagoon, Recreation Sports, and the Black Lives Matter protests as presenting the same issues with zero public outcry. <laughs> Those are all outdoors. I know. <laughs> it's not ha- ha- packed into a venue. Like, it's, it's, it's seriously baffling to me how he's just kind of, like, skirting around what the real issue the here is. The actual issue. Yeah, he never once really addresses it too much. Yeah, and his attitude is kind of like... You know, like I literally the, the the caption of the video is his company one Karen zero. Yeah, these aren't. You don't get to just use Karen for whatever you want to, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. You're now the, Karen, you're the Karen. Like, yeah, Karen has just become this like unit again. It's like you were talking about with the buzzwords. Like, yeah, Karen has become 
the buzzword for like buzzkill. Anyone that disagrees with you, I guess, now yeah. is a Karen. I think Provo might be the cringe capital of Utah. I think the Provo might be the cringe capital of America. <laughs> It's so bad. What is it with the, there's like this attitude that like, we're like, we can, we can party harder than anyone and we don't need alcohol. They're constantly trying to shirk the reputation that they are prudes. Yeah. But when they do so, they do it in such an awkward manner that they prove their own prudishness. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that is what's cringy. Is rough, it? rough look. Um, and that will do it for today's episode of, uh, the Provo Cringe Corner. Truly. <laughs>So today, we're going to rewrite Ocean's Eleven. And uh, the way this works is we're going to kind of just take a few touch points from the movie, including the plot, some of the characters and stuff like that, and try to reshape them into something that would work as if it took place in Utah. So the plot, if you don't know of Ocean's Eleven, which I, f- I feel bad. I came to Ocean's Eleven late. I saw it literally last year or this year. Oh, really? For the first time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen I I went on a Soderbergh kick and I was like, I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven. That's amazing. I feel like I've seen every movie in bits and pieces, but I've never yeah. sat down and watched it. Um, but if you don't know, Ocean's Eleven is uh, about a uh, famed criminal named Danny Ocean and his 10 accomplices and how they plan to rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously. So it's a heist movie that takes place in Las Vegas. It's also just a movie about multitasking. You're yeah. doing three at once. Great, great multitasking movie. It's a heist movie. If this was going to take place in Utah, what would they, what would they be robbing? For me, they would be robbing the entirely fake uh, DABC vault, so the Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control. Uh, let's just imagine they have a vault at their campus, and that's what we're robbing in my script. What about yours? Um, okay, so I thought about this. I, I, I want more kind of... Um, real? No, <laughs> not real at all. I probably <laughs> went further from real um, and went, probably went more recently topical. Okay. Um, so... So in, in, in my version of Ocean's Eleven, three, they, they decide to rob three different Temple time capsules. <laughs> so our, our, our main character, Danny Ocean, is watching uh, TV one day and sees the, uh, the opening of the Salt Lake City time capsule. Okay. Does a little bit of research and find out, finds out that there are three more time capsules at temples all across Utah. And he decides to rob them before they get opened up themselves. I love it. All right. So what's the score? I put 25 million question mark because I don't know, you know, like the reason that they want to rob the DABC is because they brought in over a half a billion dollars and, you know, in the first half of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so like, they're like, okay, there's a lot of money. Hasn't, hasn't been the, the amount of money that the DABC brings in been disputed before? Like they're like that what they report might not actually be true. That's very possible. You could weave that into the plot somehow, I think. Um, okay. So the motivation behind this robbery well wait what was your what was your score? oh my score uh yeah yeah okay so they, they robbed three different temple time capsules the score is a hundred million dollars in mormon relics and gold plates i love it <laughs> that's a lot of money yeah okay so the the main character's motivation behind the robbery okay so i should say just for transparency up front 
I renamed Danny Ocean to Bryson Ocean because <laughs> Bryson Ocean just seemed like more of a Utah name. Yeah. Um, so Bryson Ocean just got back from his mission and he wants to start a tech company to fit in with the uh, Silicon Slopes. Okay. Uh, he doesn't have the funds for it and he really doesn't feel like, you know, he's a shortcut guy. He doesn't feel like doing four years of business school getting a business actually started up from the ground up. He wants mm-hmm. he wants to take a shortcut and get that money from the DEABC. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides to rob the DABC because his mom fell in love and remarried the DABC commission chairman while uh, Bryson was on his mission. Ooh, so it's a he's little bit just of a, getting back from that. So it's a, like a family issue thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So like there's the motivation, which is to start the company. And then there is the extra motivation, which is to fuck over his new step. Yeah. It's a thinly veiled, like you're not my real dad. Exactly. Issue. Okay. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the motivation between my Danny ocean character behind my Danny ocean character is uh, that we find out that the love of his life is an LDS historian who won't date him because he's not a member so he decides to rob these time capsules in order to make her the hero of LDS history at the expense of his crew. I love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's go through the characters. Uh, so first, Danny Ocean. How are we going to pivot this character? So as I said, I changed Bryce his name Ocean. to Bryson yeah. um, and because that just felt more fitting. And as I also said, the pivot for him in my story is just that he's returning from a mission. He's not returning from prison. Mm-hmm. So that's the main, the main pivot for me. Okay. In my, in my version, he's uh, instead of being a world-renowned criminal, he's an anthropology professor at BYU who doesn't fit in because of his teachings on human evolution. <laughs> so he's <laughs> kind of an it. outcast of the BYU professors. I love it. Okay, so uh, the next character, Rusty Ryan, who's played by Brad Pitt in the movie. He's kind of the sidekick character. Yeah. Who's your Rusty Ryan in this movie? So my Rusty Ryan, he's, he's Bryson's bad boyfriend that vapes, um, and he plays a okay. lot of Call of Duty. Yeah. So Bryson thinks that he has like a great mind for strategy. Uh-huh. He's kind of just like the, uh, you know, the, the details guy. Okay. But he's mostly pulling all of his information from video games. And yeah. Stuff he, like that. His details come from like Call of Duty, from video games and just, he's thought of as a bad boy. And I think that a lot of the decision to have him be the right hand man is just aesthetically pleasing. Like he like Bryson thinks he looks cool when he hits the jewel. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so my my right hand man, uh, Rusty Ryan, is a BYU defensive coordinator from Ohio. He's just another transplant because of the job, but he's a gambling addict. So not great when another, you're a coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so this whole this whole uh, idea for him, and and also since he's from Ohio, comes from a fo- football state, mm-hmm. gets a job as defensive coordinator at BYU, and because he's a transplant, he also is kind of the out of the main clique of professors at BYU and, and their staffing. Yeah. So he becomes friends with uh, our, our Danny Ocean character. And uh, when he hires him to do this 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 heist, Rusty Ryan is in because he likes the thrill of the gamble. Yes. He likes the risk. Okay. Uh, the Matt Damon character, Linus Caldwell, who's kind of the uh, the slippery con man yes. type guy. So what's your pivot for him? So if you've seen Ocean's Eleven, you know that Matt Damon's character is constantly trying to live up to his father's reputation because his father was a legendary right. yeah, yeah, con yeah. man. Yep. Um, and so I'm kind of making my my Linus Caldwell the opposite. So Linus Caldwell is the son of Bryson's stake president. Okay. Um, and he really just wants to not live up to his dad's reputation. So he's trying to break away from that by getting into a life of uh, organized crime, I guess. Okay. Okay. But he's taken all of his uh, all, all all the values and information that he grew up with, and he's applying it to something other than exactly the church. Exactly. How about yours? Okay, so my line is Caldwell. 
I, I feel like I, I shaped a con man that's true to our state. So Linus Caldwell in Utah is to- doTERRA's top salesman. He <laughs> runs the MLM game. So pyramid schemes are his thing. Yeah. But he, he, he succeeds in these so well because he's good at conning people. So he can dump pallets and pallets of essential oils on people. And, uh, but it's too easy for him. He's sick of... He's sick of it. Yeah, even he though wants, he's making... He wants a challenge. Yeah, he wants a challenge. Um, so so he, he falls in with these guys on a sales call. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Terry Benedict, who's the Andy Garcia character, the kind of... I mean, everyone's a bad guy in this movie. I don't know if he's yeah. like the villain. <laughs> he's kind of a douche. I guess but. he would be the villain. Yeah. Uh, my my Terry Benedict is, as I said earlier, he is the DABC commission chairman. Okay. He is the stepdad of Bryson Ocean and just an overall kind of slimy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that stepdad that's putting his hands on your shoulders a lot, kind of giving you an inappropriate rub and saying, get in there, big guy sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the, the hey, hey, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, hey champ. Trying to get the way too close. Is so gross. Yeah. Trying to take him on fishing trips that he doesn't want to go exactly. on. Exactly. Stuff like that. Okay. Um, so my, my Terry Benedict is uh, the head of the LDS archives. I'm not sure if that's what the department has called us. I just called Let's it. Let's call it that. You know, the history archives. Who knows uh, who, kn- who, who knows about the time capsules in the other three uh, temples, but doesn't want to reveal their contents due to the detrimental consequences mm. of what's actually in there. He's also 85 years old and has a creepy relationship with uh, Danny Ocean's love interest. <laughs> so she's he's her boss. I love it. Essentially. And so this this is a guy who I think I think the way that this plays out is because of uh, Danny Ocean's affiliation with BYU, he finds out about these time capsules, mm-hmm. but they're not public knowledge. Yeah. That like people don't know that they're there. This guy knows that they're there. And he does and he wants them to stay closed. Um so who's your who's who's the love interest pivot for you? So this is like the Julia Roberts character. This Tess is Ocean. the biggest departure from actual Ocean's Eleven. Okay. So Tess Ocean for me is actually Bryson's mom. <laughs> um, there is no love. There is no love interest quality to her for Bryson. Um, except for motherly love. Except for a motherly love, love, yeah. And so you know, this is Bryson's mom. She fell in love with Terry while Bryson was on his mission and. Bryson feels this is a direct affront against him and his biological father. I feel like that's a really great pivot. This, instead of having the romantic relationship, it's a guy just that with mom problems. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So my, my pivot, I, like I said earlier, she's a, uh, uh, a, a Mormon woman who works, uh, who's at, works as an LDS historian for the archives. Um, and, and won't date Danny because he's not Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> so he thinks he can win her favor in another way by, imbuing her religion with more rich history and artifacts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. He wants to be the hero to win her over. Um, not a great plan, but you know, people, you know, men do stupid things sometimes. Yeah. So how does this heist go down in your, in your movie? So in my movie, the heist is really, really ignited by the, the 11 kind of come up with a scheme to really distract the, the DABC commission while they're in commission. Okay. Um, so they use social media to stage a protest against the privatization of liquor in the state of Utah. Obviously, there is a huge, that's uh, a huge cash cow for the state. Um, so the, while the protest is going on, the commission is stuck in their chambers debating the issues and listening to the protesters like town hall style. Okay, and that is when that is when the eleven are like really robbing that vault. Okay. I mean, honestly, if this was a real thing, it would just make way more sense to do it at nighttime when no one's there. Yeah, but. 
But you're trying to draw a parallel between the movie, the yeah. actual movie, and I'm I did the same thing. Trying to create distractions and and yeah. all of that. Yeah, little misdirections and things like that. Okay, so that's I. I, I mean, I did the kind of a similar thing. So, three temples, mm-hmm. three teams. Ogden Ogden Temple, Provo Temple, Saint George Temple. I love it. The Ogden Temple is undergoing re- renovation, mm-hmm. so they have a team that's acting as the renovation team. I love it. And they're gonna they're gonna get into the the uh, the time capsule there. Um, the Provo Temple. They do it on the night of BYU's last football game, so big distraction. Big distraction, and there's even a uh, a, a job for uh, Rusty Ryan who has to be there because he's the defensive coordinator of the yeah. team. But during halftime, he sneaks away and, and has a little part to play I love in, it. in the heist. And then the St. George team, a fake wedding party. So they're actually getting sealed in the temple, and they went through this whole thing to like forge temple membership and. They're made doing this heist during a fake wedding. Oh man! <laughs> so all three tem- all three temples being robbed in the same evening, um, all during the final game of the BYU season. Um, so how does your how do you see your story concluding? I guess it's kind of a happy ending for all, except for Terry Benedict. I do think that there's a point where Terry kind of just gets smart and and figures out what's what's afoot and. Mm. And he confronts Bryson, but at this time, Bryson, you know, uses it to his advantage and he records Terry speaking about how he would rather keep his job as the DABC commission chair than, than date his mom. And, <laughs> and Tess is someone who's in, you know, Tess is a full, she's in it either all the way or none of the way, you know? So when yeah. she hears that, she's like, look, you're more important to me than my job. So uh-huh. it kind of hurts me that I'm not more important than yours. And she, uh... Bounces him out of there. So that's, you know, Bryson yeah. gets that. And then it yeah. almost seems as if the the uh, heist has failed. But they had already pulled it off at that point anyway. So. Okay. Okay. I like it. That's That That sounds like a, like it's a, like tie, most, ties not, up all the loose ends. Yeah. It's not the most intense ending though. No, that's but there's, right. the, I feel like there's going to be, there's, there's good parental. Yeah. You know, that you don't yeah. get that a lot. Usually it's the love interest, you know, it's the, it's that the criminal and the dame. Yeah. But I like the dynamic between the the the, the mother and the son and the mommy issues. That, yeah. that feels very Utah in itself sure. too. Yeah. Um, How's your yours end? So mine ends. Uh, they 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 pull off the heist successfully. They get all these Mormon artifacts um, out of the out of the time capsule, and it's even more than they thought was in there. Oh, really? Very preserved, worth a ton of money, and um, but. Danny Ocean pulls a quick one because again, he doesn't want the money. He wants the girl. Mm-hmm. So he kind of screws everyone else over, gets all the artifacts and goes to take him down. He's intercepted by old man, Terry Benedict and is basically like, look, all those books that you found in there, all those plates, there's a lot of like 1800s racist shit written in there. Oh, no. <laughs> if any of this goes, it's going to be a PR nightmare for the Mormon religion. <laughs> if a lot of the information that's in those time capsules comes out, that's why we want to keep it in there. So he's like, I'll make you a deal. I'll pay you guys off to, to turn over all of the artifacts. Big pockets, Terry Benedict. So there's some weird shadow dealings that he gets money from the church, uh-huh. transfers a ton of money over to them so they don't release any of the artifacts. And he's able to get money and split it between his crew so everyone gets paid off from the church. And because of his newfound knowledge on the on, on, on the LDS faith, he actually gets a, a date with Tess. Nice. And, and it ends with them going on their first date to uh, Nielsen's frozen custard. Fitting as ever. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So those are our new pitches for uh, Ocean's Eleven. I think it's honestly better than the real movie. 
Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think we're doing a, a service here for Hollywood. I think we should take this. We should take both of them and kind of um, make a, a, like a, a, a log line that, mm-hmm. that lines out the whole movie and we'll just put it on like a text post on Instagram. There you go. So, and maybe we can make a poster too. There you go. Anyway, we'll figure out I another movie to do. That's salty scripts. And, uh, you have anything else? I don't have anything, anything else. else. All right. No. Well, with that, that does it for today's episode of The Holy Hive Show. We'll be back next week. And uh, until then, stay away from Provo parties and wear your masks and be good to each other. Be nice to Ogden, too. Yeah. Be nice to Ogden. Later. Later.